And the title of our series is A Faithful Steward. A Faithful Steward. And if you missed last week's message, then um, uh, as we get into the message, we'll make sure we uh, explain to you exactly what all that means. But uh, if you found Matthew chapter 25, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word, we'll begin, if you're able to, that is, uh, we'll begin in verse 14, and we'll read down through verse number 19, and as is our custom, we will read responsibly. I'll begin in verse 14, and we'll begin together in verse 15. The Bible says in verse 14, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same, and made other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth, and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so we're looking at this sermon title this morning, The Mindset of a Steward. Let's pray together. Lord, my prayer today is that everyone would have a very crystal clear explanation of uh, this passage, this parable, this scripture this morning, and that, Lord, we would be challenged to make the changes necessary for us to be in line with and obedient to what we hear. Lord, help us to be submissive. You're Almighty God, and we do it your way. We always come out on the right side. So, Lord, help us to set aside our flesh, and, Lord, help us to follow what you have for us today. Make us more like you, Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. A faithful steward. Boy, that's the goal. The goal in the Christian life is to be a faithful steward. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Listen closely. It says, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of of God. And then verse 2 says this, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. It is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. We began a four-week series of sermons last week. We looked at the meaning of stewardship. We, we defined stewardship and laid it all out there for you. Today's sermon is the mindset of a steward. Uh, next week, we'll look at the management of a steward, and then we'll finish off the series looking at the measurement of a steward. My desire today is to convince each one of you uh, to develop a proper mindset toward stewardship. A proper mindset toward stewardship. For each of you uh, to get to a place where everything that you look at in life, uh, uh, the way a steward or as God's steward would look at it. The perspective that God wants us to have. Now, we separate, how, rather, what separates two talented individuals? Boy, I could take two tennis players who are equally skilled at the game, and I can put them on the court to play each other. What separates one from the other? What causes one to win and the other to lose? Can I tell you what it is? It's mindset. It's mentality. One has a mindset that is greater than the other. They're both equally talented, but one has a mentality to get it done. The other one does not. Mindset, mentality. What separates mediocre Christianity from all-star, excellent Christianity? Mindset, mentality. Uh, what separates those who surrender some to the Lord from those who surrender all to the Lord? It comes down again to having the right mindset, having the right mentality. Uh, what is it that will cause you to build God's kingdom instead of building your kingdom? Again, you guessed it, mindset, mentality. That's why we're told in Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 5, let this mind or this mentality, uh, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We are to have 
the mind of Christ. Boy, if I, you say, Pastor Lejeune, you have a genie in a bottle and you get one wish as a pastor, what would it be? My wish would be that the good people of White Oak Baptist Church would think like Christ. Would think like Christ. I mean in every way. If all of us in here would think like Christ and have the mentality of Christ, boy, I wouldn't have to get up and preach very much anymore. We'd get up and preach about Jesus coming back to get us and it'd be a a pep rally every week. I wouldn't need to preach any corrective measures. I wouldn't have to do spiritual surgery. I wouldn't have to preach hard against any particular sin because we would all have the mentality of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you today that where I'm broken, can I tell you today that where I fall short as a Christian is because I I am not thinking like Christ. I'll tell you this, sometimes I have stinking thinking. How many here get tripped up by stinking thinking? You know what I'm talking about this morning, amen? We must develop the mind of Christ. Now, specifically to this area of stewardship, listen, I'm here to tell you, most Christians are barely even grasping the idea of what being a steward is much less putting it into practice. And through these four sermons I'm preaching here, what I want all of you to do is deeply understand it and then make a commitment to go forth and live it. We defined stewardship last week. Some of you weren't here for that message. And so as I get into the points of the sermon this morning, I will redefine it. I will give you the Cliff Notes version of last week's message But can I ask you today that whether or not you understand stewardship, can I ask you this? Are you willing to say, yes, Lord, to your will and to your way? Because if you have an attitude of it's my way, not his way, then you might as well just close your Bible and go home. Because what I preach won't matter. What I'm asking you today is are you willing to say, Lord, if it's in your word and you want me to live it and do it, then sign me up. I'm in. I'm in. That's the question for you this morning. I propose that if the good people who attend this church would develop the mindset of godly stewards, then we would be able to revolutionize the way we reach our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We would be able to revolutionize the way we approach world missions. We must develop the mind of Christ. We must develop the mindset of a faithful steward. Let's look at uh, three observations from Matthew chapter 25 as we consider this topic, the mindset of a steward. Okay, let's jump right in here. Point number one, the expectation of the master. The expectation of of the master. Listen, I have to tell you that uh, as an employer, I have some employees that work here at the church and I give direction to. I cannot expect them to do what I want done if I am not willing to tell them what needs to be done. Amen? And the Bible lays out for us the expectation of the master. Notice letter A, the responsibility of the stewards, the responsibility of the stewards. Really, if I could sum up last week's sermon in a word, I would sum it up in the word responsibility. We have a responsibility to be a good, faithful steward. Look at Matthew chapter 25 and look at verse number 14 with me. Notice here it says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them, notice those last two words, his Goods. His goods. Now, it is my strong opinion that this parable is a parable written to the church. This is a parable written about the church. This is a parable in Scripture that is written directly to us. And it says here that the kingdom of heaven is like a man of great wealth that goes into a far country, but before he does, he takes his own goods and he leaves them in the care of other people. We looked at last week when we said that stewardship begins when we realize that everything in our possession does not belong to us. It belongs to God. Listen this morning. We do not own anything. It all belongs to God. All of it. Um, 
There's a man uh, talking about being responsible. There's a man who applied for a job and was brought in for an interview. And uh, during that interview, he was asked about his previous employment. And so the man was quite candid and quite honest uh, about his previous employment. And he shared with the HR manager who was interviewing with him. He said, I've been fired from my last four jobs. And so the HR manager's thinking, well, maybe he was unjustly fired. Uh, We'll give him a chance to explain himself. And so uh, he says, well, why were you fired? And in all four instances, the man deserved to be fired. He had done some really, really boneheaded things that had cost the company a lot of money, and he had been fired. And it was, uh, was not ashamed to tell this HR manager just how awful of an employee he had been. And so the HR manager takes off his glasses and sets them down on the desk and looks at the man across the uh, way there in the chair and he says, Well, sir, I'm just confused. I'm confused why you would even apply. Did you not see that in our ad that we said we are looking for someone who is responsible? Clearly, with what you have just told me about yourself, you are irresponsible. And the man got a puzzled look on his face, and he looked back at the HR manager, and he said, well, I just don't understand. He said, every time I got fired on my way out the door, my boss was very angry at me, and he stuck his finger up my direction, and he said, you're responsible. He said, I figured I was overqualified for your position. You know, many of us are irresponsible in our call to what God's called us to do. We're responsible, all right, but we're not responsible in the sense of building up the kingdom of heaven. Many Christians are irresponsible in the way they handle what God has entrusted them. Now, um, I've never worked in a church nursery. It's one of the only things I haven't done in church work. Um, But I have been a children's pastor, and I have had my own children. And so... um, I've learned a lot about adults from watching children. You know, children really aren't much different than adults. Adults are just a little bit better at masquerading their behavior. Right? You know, if I could sum up a toddler in a word, you know what that word would be? Selfish. Toddlers are selfish. One church nursery in a church that I went to had on its wall painted this right here. It was called the Toddler's Creed. Let me read for you the Toddler's Creed. Here's how it works. If I want it, it's mine. If I give it to you and I change my mind later, it's still mine. If I can take it away from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago and want it again, it's mine. If it's mine, it will never belong to anybody else, no matter what. It's mine. If we are building something together, all of the blocks, all of the pieces are not yours, they're mine. Here's my favorite one. If it looks like mine, it's mine. You know, it's this white-knuckled approach that everything I have is mine. Get your hands off. It's mine. When I was in college, I had uh, gone and uh, gotten some McDonald's. And I got back to the dorms with my big bag of McDonald's. I was getting ready to eat it. And my roommate invited me to go somewhere with him. My roommate was an older student, and I was 18 years old. He was an older student. And he had, you know, he had worked a job ahead of time and, and bought himself a nice car, brand-new car. And I got into his brand-new car with my bag of McDonald's, and I started to unfold it. And he looked over at me and said, You are not going to eat that in my car. I said, but I'm hungry. He said, this is my car. I said, but this is my food. And he said, then you can eat it somewhere else. You're not eating that in my car. Now, look, I think we should be good stewards, right, of what we have, and we shouldn't mess things up. By the way, is there any better smell in a car than McDonald's French fries? I mean, come on now. Right? They ought to make one of those air fresheners that look like McDonald's fries that you hang in your car, that beats a new car smell any day. Amen? 
And that's coming from someone who's never bought a brand new car. Uh, but uh, listen, uh, uh, God expects us to be responsible. And Christians take the attitude of everything I have is mine. And Lord, I'll think about giving you some of my time. I'll think about giving you some of my money. I think about, I'll think about giving to you some of my abilities. I'll think about giving to you um, uh, my children. I'll think about giving to you my relationships. And God says, whoa, 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 hold on. It's never been yours. Everything you have, I am the, the master. I am the Lord that gave you everything you have. And I went into a far country called heaven. And one day I am coming back to get you. And I will question you about you handle, the way you handled those things. The way you handled those relationships. The way you handled that knowledge. Letter A, the responsibility of the steward. Letter B, notice the results of the steward. The results of the steward. God expects results. Now, we live in an age where children are not pushed to get results. Right? Listen, if I send my son into the room to make the bed, and I walk in, and, and you know, you got the, you got the sheet hanging below the, the comforter, and uh, the pillow's on the wrong end of the bed, and there's wrinkles all over the place. You know what I'm not going to look at him and say? Well, at least he tried. I'm not looking for effort. I want results. Make the bed and make it right. My child brings home a report card, and I know he or she is capable of A's and B's, and they bring home a report card with D's and F's. I don't want them to sit at the table in the kitchen and cry and say, but I tried, Dad. Look, I'm not giving you an A for effort. I want you to earn the grades you're capable of making. And you say, well, Pastor, you're firm. And Pastor, you're mean. And Pastor, you're tough. And I've been around you enough to know that you're not soft enough, Pastor. And listen, uh, we need to back away. And we don't need to have winners and losers. And you know what? I believe that everybody should tie. And I would say to you, no. God expects results. Look at Matthew chapter 25 and look at verse number 19. Look here, it says, after a long time, by the way, hasn't it been a long time since Jesus ascended into heaven? Make no mistake, he's still coming back. After a long time, the Lord of those servants, or you could say God of those Christians, cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents, and by the way, that word talent is not talking about your abilities. This is five sets of money. Came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Look at the results here. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, notice here, he didn't say, oh, I don't care about your results. I just care about your effort. Is that what it says? Look there. Lord said unto him, well done. Notice he praises him for the results, thou good and faithful servant. Look down with me at verse number 22. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou hast delivered unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. Notice the results. His Lord said unto him, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. God is not just looking for our effort. He is looking for results. I was reading a book one time about leadership, and um, it, uh, this quote was in the book that just stung me hard. It was a rock that hit me between the eyes, and I believe that this is the truth, maybe, that will hit somebody between the eyes this morning. Here was the quote. If you are talking up your efforts, then that must be because you didn't produce good results. If you're talking up your efforts, that must be because you didn't produce results. Well, well, I did this, and I did that, and I did this. You know what you're doing? You're putting the attention over here on your failed efforts. You know what? I see a lot of Christians that talk a good game. But they've been saved years, and they don't really have anything to show for it. Oh, they have their church attendance they can hold up, but they don't have any real results. Boy, I'm going to step on your toes a little bit this morning. But sometimes we need our toes stepped on in order to get us to grow a little bit. Sometimes we need a quick kick in the, in the pants. 
Some of you ladies are wearing a skirt or dress. I won't kick you in the skirt or dress. Amen? But proverbially, we need a kick in the pants to get us up and going. Many Christians talk a good game. God doesn't want talk. He wants results. Talk is cheap. Many Christians talk about prayer, but few pray. Or see answered prayers. If I were to sit you down one-on-one and I were to say to you, name ten answers to prayers, ten answered prayers from the last year, could you do it? Does God answer prayer? Amen? If you don't have any answered prayers, that's for one reason. You ain't praying. That's bad grammar, but good preaching. God wants results. Hey, let's quit playing games of prayer. We talk about it, but we don't do it. Oh, we'll pray in a group. We'll pray in front of other people. And I'm not against group praying. We have a Friday Friday morning prayer group. Our ladies meet here and they pray. And I'm 100% for it. But ladies, if you attend that prayer group and you're not ever praying on your own, shame on you. God isn't just looking for us to pray in front of other people. When was the last time you got on your face before God and prayed on your own? God wants results. Many Christians talk about reading and studying their Bible, but few put in the effort to rightly divide the word of truth. God has given you the Bible in the eyes to read it. Do you read the Bible? He has given you a mind to comprehend it. Are you studying the Bible? He has given you the Spirit of God to discern it. The Master expects results. Many Christians talk about how strong their faith is. How their faith is just so strong. But when push comes to shove and money gets tight, they work on Sundays. Oh yeah, your faith is strong. It's so strong you had to skip church, which you're commanded to do, to go earn money. How about this? How about you get on your knees and you say to God, Lord, I expect you to provide for my needs. I'm going to go to church and I'm going to let you send me the money. We talk about our faith being strong. God says, oh no, 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 no. I don't want your talk. When push comes to shove, I want you to walk with me. I want you to talk with me. I want you to trust me. And I want you to obey me. Many Christians talk about their their boldness and their courage for the Lord. But then they struggle to give someone a gospel track. Or say to them, hey, let me introduce you to my best friend Jesus who can help you. Hey, Christian, one day God's going to look at you And say, I gave you the mystery of the gospel. Who did you share it with? Who did you tell? The mindset of a steward is this. God has given me everything I have. I am to take what I have and I am to use it. Not to multiply money. I am to use it to multiply the kingdom of heaven. Hey, what's mine is not mine. What's mine is His. We together this morning? Amen? Everybody alright? Alright, what's mine is His. Hey, this isn't popular preaching. Joel Osteen's not going to be preaching this anytime soon. But how many admit this is what we need to hear? Amen? God expects you to accept the responsibilities of being a steward. I really want to make this point strong before I move on to point number two. Many Christians never produce results because they have yet to accept the responsibility. We take the attitude of, This is mine, this is mine, this is mine, this is mine, this is mine. How could you ever produce results as a steward if you won't even acknowledge that you are one? And this is why Christian churches are shrinking and falling apart and closing their doors. 
Because Christians don't want to accept the responsibility of what it means to be a Christian. Hey, you know, when Jesus said, bear your cross and follow me, did we think that it was a velvet cross that didn't weigh anything? Did we think that bearing a cross meant that we get to live a a cush, comfortable, easygoing lifestyle? Listen, Jesus' cross was so heavy that He fell beneath it on the way to Calvary. And He was God! But don't sign me up for anything, Pastor, that requires any sort of real sacrifice. Because I don't want to do that. And God says, listen, Christianity is cross-bearing. It's cross-bearing. It's time that Christians accept the responsibility. Only when you accept the responsibility can you begin to produce results. Number one, the expectations of the master. Number two, notice with me here, the enemies of the stewards. The enemies of the stewards. Now, I've got to be honest with you this morning. I have accepted the responsibility to be a steward. I accepted that responsibility a long time ago. And I work hard to produce results. But there have been plenty of times in my life where I have not produced results. You know why? Because there is an enemy out there trying to keep me away from being a good steward for the Lord. Look at Matthew chapter 25, verse 15. It says there, And unto one he gave five talents, to another two and to another one. This next part of the verse is a little insulting. Look here. To every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Now I want you to picture this with me. You have this rich man who has servants. He brings into his presence. You've got, you've got Joe, Steve, and Bob. Alright? Joe, Steve, and Bob. And he goes over to Joe and he says, you know what? You're a pretty talented guy. Here's five talents. Five sets of money. And Steve, you know what? You're not as talented as Joe. I'll give you two. And then he looks at Bob and says, yeah, you're not anywhere near these two. Here, here's one. Now, I've got to tell you the truth. If I was the person that got the one talent, I would be a little offended. I'd be a little bothered by that. He doesn't think that I'm up to snuff. He doesn't think I'm up to par. He doesn't think I can do it. How many can understand why someone would be upset about getting just one talent? You know what I see? I see Christians who look around at other Christians and say, God didn't give me the talent of that one. God didn't give me the abilities of that one. And they throw themselves a Christian pity party. Can I tell you that if you're a one-talent Christian, God is not going to expect the same thing out of you as He does a five-talent Christian. What's the Bible tell us? To whom much is given, much shall be required. You know what the inverse of that is, right? To whom little is given, little shall be required. You know, I, I thank God that I got saved when I was four years old. I thank God for my heritage. My mom and dad were saved and serving God full-time in ministry shortly after I was born. I was raised in church ministry. Uh, Ken Griffey Jr., his father played baseball, and Ken Griffey Jr. was asked why he was such a great baseball player, and his answer was, I grew up in the dugout. I grew up in the dugout. You know, I don't find myself to be an especially great pastor or preacher, but I will tell you this, I grew up in the dugout of church ministry. One day I'm going to stand before God and He's given me talents or abilities uh, to be a pastor. And when I stand before God, He sure is going to require a whole lot more out of me than somebody who got saved when they were in their 50s or 60s. You say, boy, I sure wish I would have got an earlier start at this. Or I sure wish that God had given me more abilities. Or I sure wish God had given me more to work with than I have. I've got a a mental hang-up. Or I've got an emotional hang-up. Or I've got a physical hang-up. And I can't do as much for the Lord because of this, this, or that. And I would say to you, quit focusing on what you can't do and start focusing on what you can do for the Lord. Amen? Take what God has given you and use it to the fullest. Boy, but Satan wants to distract us. He wants to keep us from becoming all that we ought to be. I read over Matthew 25 in this parable and I find three enemies of the steward that the flesh, the world, and the devil try to use against us. Notice letter A, fear. Fear. For those of you that hate all of my alliteration, you're going to be proud of me. I did not alliterate A, B, and C. Amen? I couldn't get it to work, so I just I didn't try. I wasn't going to force something. Matthew chapter 25 And look at verse number 24. Look at there. It says, Then he which had received the one talent 
came and said, Lord, I knew that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. Look at verse 25. Let's read those first four words together. Ready? And I was afraid. I was afraid. Many people allow fear to keep them from broadening their horizons and doing something that makes them uncomfortable. Many people allow fear to get the best of them. They allow fear to paralyze them from functioning within their role as God's stewards. Notice that in this parable, this man was given one talent. And instead of being a steward, he buried it in the earth. And his reasoning here is that he was afraid of messing things up. He was afraid that in investing the money, he would lose some of the money and not even have the talent of money to give back to the master. He allowed fear to cripple him from moving forward for the Lord. Now, here in this passage, they're commanded to tell others, or rather, we're commanded to tell others about Jesus. But what happens is some of us find that task so daunting, we bury the talent in the ground. You know, I, I am um, I'm amazed at how hard it is for somebody, some people to give other people a gospel track. Tracked. Get that T on the end. Amen? Have a hard time with that. Handing the cashier a tract is so intimidating for some of you. And I'm not here to belittle you. That's a reality for probably half the people in this room. But can I tell you that God has called you to give out the gospel whether you're afraid or not. Many people are going to stand before God one day and say, I would have done more, but I was afraid. I was afraid. You listening this morning? Some of you, God has given you a beautiful singing voice. But you would never get up here and sing. Because you're terrified of people. You're terrified of hitting one wrong note and what everybody would think about you. And you have buried your talent in the ground. Others of you in here, God has given the ability to teach. But you would never get up in front of a group of kids or adults and teach because you're afraid that you'll stutter when you speak. Haven't you heard me give announcements? I stutter when I give the announcements sometimes. Right? If, if, stu- if having a pastor that never stuttered was a qualification, y'all wouldn't be here. If having a pastor that spoke perfect English was a requirement, nobody would be here either. Amen? You know what? You can't let fear control you. And we have a bunch of people who are afraid. Revelation chapter 21 verse 8, we're given a list of people who are not going to make it into heaven one day. What's the first group of people on that list? But the... Who, who knows? But the... Yep, the fearful. The next one is unbelieving. You listen to this morning? Look, I'm not trying to be mean to anyone. And if you're afraid, I'm not picking on you. I'm just trying to encourage you a little bit, okay? Listen, you know why people don't believe in Jesus? Many times it's because they're too afraid to search out the truth. They let fear keep them from finding faith. Fear is the opposite of faith. Many people don't do what they ought to do for the Lord because they are afraid. They are afraid. Let me give you another enemy of stewardship I see here in the passage. Notice... Letter B, we see laziness. Laziness. Look at Matthew chapter 25 and verse number 26. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and, what's that next word? Slothful servant. Let's keep reading. Thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gathered where I had not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers. And then at my coming, I should have received mine own with usury. Notice who it belongs to. Mine own with usury. 
Now, a couple things about this passage. When I see the word slothful, you know what I think of? I think of that animal, the sloth. Right? This moves really slow. Right? Doesn't get a lot done. Okay? It's like watching paint dry on a wall, right? I think of a snail or a slug that doesn't move very fast. I think of my roommate in college. I don't know why he went to college. He, uh, he slept through all of his classes. And he'd get out of bed about five minutes before Bible College Chapel would start, throw his clothes on, and run into the chapel. And I remember one day I came back from my third period class. I had my fourth period class off. And I walked in, and he was still in bed. And I, uh, we had a squeaky door. So I began to squeak the door back and forth. And I opened my Bible to the verse in Proverbs that says, As a door turneth upon its hinges, so a lazy man turneth in his bed. And I began to read that voice really loud. And he rolled over and said, leave me alone. Laziness. Laziness. You know, we're developing a generation of children who are turning into 30-somethings living in mommy's basement playing Xbox. We're raising lazy children. Children don't want to work anymore. You have a teenage son or a Preteen son, you tell him to go out and mow the lawn. He ought to know how to do it. You say to your daughter who's preteen or teenager that you want the, um, uh, the house clean when you get back and you give them a list of things to be clean. They ought to know how to do it. We're also raising a bunch of effeminate boys and masculine girls where the, the girl can cut the lawn and the boy can clean the house. Listen, uh, we, we, we got to get past this thing of laziness. Some of you, you come in and you plump down on your chair and you listen to the service and you wouldn't do anything around here. You're not using your abilities for the Lord. You're not using your intellect for the Lord because you are lazy. I'm going to tell you right now, the laziest person in White Oak Baptist Church is the man behind the pulpit. I'm lazy. When I say I'm lazy, I don't mean that I act in a way that's lazy. My flesh is lazy. My flesh wants to sleep in every morning. My flesh wants to stay up every night. My flesh doesn't want to read the Bible. My flesh doesn't want to pray. My flesh doesn't want to pass out tracts. My flesh doesn't want to be nice to my wife. My flesh doesn't want to spend time with my kids. My flesh wants to do everything that it's not supposed to. Because my flesh is lazy. Just like yours is. And that laziness keeps people away from being a good steward. Look, there's going to come a day, whether you like it or not, where Jesus comes back. A whole lot of Christians are going to be standing around doing nothing. And they're going to stand before God. And God's going to look at them and say, what did you do for the kingdom? And they're going to hang their head and look down at their toes because they have nothing to say or very little to say. My friends, let's not let, let, let's not let laziness get us. Letter C. Enemy number C or number three I see here out of this passage is distraction. Distraction. Look at Matthew 25, verse 18. It says, But he that had received one, one talent, went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. Some people take what God has given them to manage and they bury it in the earth and do nothing with it for the kingdom of heaven because they are too busy living out their own dreams and their own ambitions. The idea of being a steward is closely akin to this idea of being a house manager. Someone who's wealthy, has a large estate, and you're put in charge. You are the estate manager. You are the house manager. And can I tell you that many people are not managing well the kingdom of God because they're too busy managing their own kingdom. Many people are not managing God's house because they're too busy managing their own house. You see, they cannot accomplish God's will for their life because they have to first accomplish their own will for their life. They fit God around their schedule instead of fitting their schedule around God. They are distracted making money. But whose money is it anyway? They are distracted with accumulating nice things. But whose things are they really anyway? They are distracted with a busy schedule. 
But whose time are they using to keep that schedule? They are distracted planning and saving for their future. Whether that's retirement or their kids' education. But who owns and controls your tomorrows? They're distracted by either defrauding their body or worshiping their body. But whose temple is that skin and bone belong to that you call your body? My friend, the enemy of being a good steward for many of us is our poor priorities. We're too busy building our kingdom to build His kingdom. We've taken the talents that He's given us. When I say talents, we're taking everything He's given us. As far as the kingdom of heaven is concerned, it's buried in the ground. We don't have time to manage His house. We're managing our house. Now, I wonder if there is someone sitting here in the service this morning who's willing to be honest enough with himself to say, Pastor, that's me. Don't raise your hand. You're thinking to yourself, you got me. Boy, right between the eyes. You pegged me, Pastor. I'm not stewarding God's kingdom because I'm busy stewarding my kingdom. Now let's talk reality here. We lock ourselves into a routine and a schedule. We lock ourselves into a bill structure. Life has a way of locking us in. And so that when we hear a sermon like this, we're not not able to easily make the changes necessary to build His kingdom. You know what it's going to take? It's going to take a whole lot of praying and a whole lot of faith to make the radical changes that you need to make. I'm telling you, my friend, one day Jesus is going to come get you, whether through death or the rapture. When you stand before Him, He's not going to care how big your house was. He's going to know how many people you put in his house. He's not going to care how many millions of dollars you had in the bank. He's going to want to know what kind of treasures you stored up in heaven. He's not going to care what letters fit behind your child's name from college. He's going to want to know how many people you led to Christ. He's not going to care if you're introverted or extroverted. He's not going to care how important you were at your job or in your community. He's going to want to know, what did you do with Jesus? You see, those who die without Christ, they're going to go to the great white throne judgment. Revelation chapter 21 lays it out for us. And I don't know that it's going to be quite worded this way, but can I tell you that there's going to be one question asked to all of the lost who die and stand before God? By the way, there might be someone here this morning that hasn't put their faith and trust in Jesus. Please listen up here to what I'm about to say. God's going to look at the lost one day, and He's going to ask them one question. What did you do with Jesus? He's not going to ask them whether or not they went to church. He's not going to ask them whether or not they were a good person. He's going to say, what Did you do with Jesus? And those who did not accept Jesus and Jesus alone for their salvation will be thrown into hell. But did you know that for the saved, we'll be asked a very similar question. Watch this now. We're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And our eternity is not at stake. You make it to the judgment seat of Christ, boy, you're, you're in heaven. But you're going to be asked this question. Watch this now. Watch this. He's going to look at you and he's going to ask you this one question. What did you do for Jesus? What did you do for Jesus? Well, well, well Lord, I, I bought a nice expensive house. No, no, no. What did you do for Jesus? 
Well, well, Lord, I, I had a successful uh, company and, 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 I, and I made my name great and I became famous and, and I had a lot of nice things and, and I made a lot of friends and I had a wonderful social life and I had a lot of fun and the God's going to look back at you and say, no, 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 what did you do for Jesus? I gave you a job and I allowed you to make money and I gave you breath to breathe and I gave you all sorts of tomorrows and I gave you a heart to beat in your chest and I gave you a mind to work in your head and I gave you a mom and a dad and I, some of you I gave you husbands and wives or husbands or wives and I gave you children and I, and I gave you all of this so that you could advance the name of Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of us are going to do, we're going to look down at our toes and I'm going to, we're going to say, I guess I was distracted. I guess I was distracted. You see, a lot of pastors preach about stewardship. They talk about money. But my friend, stewardship goes so far beyond money. God doesn't just want your money. He wants everything. He wants it all. All to Jesus I surrender. Or is it some to Jesus I surrender? And for many Christians, it's, I only pretend that some is surrendered to Jesus. Well, let's not be distracted. Number three, and lastly, notice the effort of the steward. I'll be quick here. The effort of the steward. Letter A, notice a focused effort. A focused effort. Look at Matthew chapter 25 and verse number 16. It says there, Then he that had received the five talents went and traded. With the same. Look at verse 17. And likewise, uh, uh, he that had received two, he also gained other two. You know what he did? He pushed away the distractions. He ignored the fear. Not that it wasn't there, but he ignored it and pressed on anyway. He set his laziness to the side. He went and got it. Amen? I grew up in a home with six little brothers and sisters. And if you've ever been given a homework assignment that you have to take home and get done while six little squirts are running around the house, creating all kinds of, of, of ruckus, you know what it means to be focused. Is that the next day when I had to turn that report in, the teacher didn't want to hear my brothers and sisters distracted me or my dad was watching the news too loud. The, the teacher wanted to hear, I got it done. So you had to push all, all the distractions and you had to focus in and get that homework done. You know, Satan has his distractions he throws at us. We have to stay focused. For some, for some, he throws failure. He uses failure to distract us. Other, he uses success. I can't tell you how many times someone's come up to me and said, Pastor, I've gotten a promotion at work. I can't come to church anymore. I'll be working Sundays. You know what he's done? He's thrown success at you. Sometimes Satan throws wealth at us. Sometimes he throws bankruptcy at us. Sometimes he throws fame at us. Sometimes he throws loneliness our direction. For some, it's love. For some, it's hatred. Satan uses all sorts of different tra- tactics to keep the Christian from being a good steward. And you, my friend, must determine that you're going to lock your eyes on the prize. You're going to lock your eyes on the Savior. You're going to lock your eyes on the task. You're going to take your responsibility serious. And you're going to produce results because you are focused. Better be noticed, a fruitful effort. A fruitful effort. Hey, it's not just uh, that we're focused. Focus brings fruit. Focus brings fruit. Look at verse number 20. And so he that had received the, the five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. Notice the fruit, the, the results that he brought about. Look at verse 22. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents besides them. Notice that these men took the responsibility to heart and they worked hard. They had their opportunity and turned it into success. Their focused efforts became a fruitful effort. Their focused effort became a fruitful effort. Psalm chapter 1 explains that a focused Christian will be a tree planted by the river of water uh, that brings forth fruit. What is this Christian in Psalm 1 focused on? He's focused on two things. Avoiding the wrong crowd and delighting in the law of the Lord. See how that works? You know what? I could break the whole Bible down in those two areas. Avoid the wrong crowd 
and delight in the law of the Lord. You do those two things, you're going to be light years ahead of most people. You know what happens when we avoid the wrong crowd and we delight in the law of the Lord? We bring forth fruit in our season. Our leaf doesn't wither and we prosper. We've got to be focused. Letter C, and lastly, notice a faithful fruit. A faithful effort, rather. A faithful effort. Looking back at verse 21, His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Verse 23, His Lord said unto him, this is the one that had two talents, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Some are focused for a short time, and they bear fruit for a short time. God calls us to be focused, fruit bearers, that do so for the long haul. That, my friend, requires you to be faithful. Requires you to be faithful. Christian, do you have the mindset of stewardship? Whose kingdom are you building? To the moms and dads in here, or those grandparents maybe even that are raising their their grandchildren, are they your kids? Or are they his? Are you raising them for you, or are you raising them for them? That money in your bank account, is it yours or is it the Lord's? The house you live in, the car you drive, the clothes you wear... How are you using these things for his kingdom? Do you have the mindset of a steward? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Lord, all I can do is educate the head. At the end of the day, it's you that has to prick the heart. Spirit of God, take the message that's been preached today. And use it to convict and change your people. Lord, American Christians have become nothing more, in many cases, than just a consumer of a religious commodity. We come in, we sit in our comfortable seat, we expect the service to be just right. We talk to our friends and we go home. And we do it all again next week. Lord, we are doing very little with what you've given us. Lord, may some radical decisions be made in this room this morning. May you light a fire under us. Help us, Lord, to accept the responsibility that's been given to us. Lord, work hard to produce results. May we avoid the enemies of stewardship. Lord, may our effort be great. In Jesus' name we pray.